I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Welcome to another episode of Astro Radio Z. As always, I'm your host, Derek Carey, and I want to say hello to you guys. Thanks for sticking around. I've seen while uh, we've been gone for, uh, or I've been gone for the last month and a half, um, that you guys are still downloading episodes and still listening, and we're still getting more subscribers. Imagine that. I got to give a big shout out to the Tangent Bound Network of podcasts that have taken Astro Radio Z on, and I believe that's probably where some of these listeners are coming from. So if you're interested, I uh, Astro Radio Z, Film Jerk, Stoogecast, everyone that's involved with the Astro Radio Z Network have now been picked up by the Tangent Bound Network. You can find them on the web. Google them up. You'll find all their big string of different podcasts that they have running. Runs the gambit from movie podcast to comedy podcast to all sorts of other hijinks. So go check them out. Give them, you know, your time and listen. This week... Coming back from big hiatus that I've had, I brought on a good friend of mine, fellow filmmaker that was not only a part of our new anthology, Hole in the Wall, but he's also been integral to the Wisconsin horror film scene for a few years now, Kevin Summerfield. He's one half of Slasher Studios. They made, last year, they made Don't Go to the Reunion, which was a hilarious send-up of old slasher films from the 80s. And they also have a string of very popular and very successful um, short films that are also in the slasher vein. So, this week I brought him on. We sat, we had a long conversation about all sorts of things. Not only his new movie that's going to be coming out, they're about to shoot called Dismembering Christmas, but we go into some major geek rants. So please take the time, give a listen. Kevin's a very sharp, witty dude. He has a lot to say, and this is a, was a great interview. For the first time ever, and I, I'm, I don't know if you notice, you probably do, but most of you probably don't, um, I edit these episodes quite a bit, even if they're just interview episodes, just to make it, you know, condense it down a little bit and make it a little more concise and make me not sound like such an idiot. Um, <laughs> I edit the episodes down. This episode has the distinction of not having one edit in it. Not one. So that tells you how good I, I thought this episode was. So thank you for sticking around with me. I hope you guys love this episode. Um, I'm not going to have a back end tag, so... If you like Astro Radio Z, you like this episode, go back. Here are other stuff on uh, AstroRadioZ.com. You want to contact me, AstroRadioZPodcast at gmail.com. You can find this podcast along with uh, Film Jerks, Stoogecast, and any other stuff with the t uh, Tangent Bound Network on Stitcher, iTunes, um, anywhere where you can find podcasts, you can find this stuff. So, again, from the bottom of my heart, thanks for sticking around. I hope you love this episode.
So tell, you've been obviously a part with, uh, with Steve, mm -hmm. uh, your partner in uh, Slasher Studios, yep. doing films, but you also run podcasts. So why don't you tell, tell uh, my listeners a little bit about not only your relationship with Steve and Slasher Studios, mm -hmm. but uh, all of the things that you guys do together. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, we started out in like 2010. It was, uh, Steve was in college in Arizona. So he was working on doing a thesis film and it just had to be a short film under the 15 minute mark, I believe. And so I he was talking to me over the phone and we were just kind of going back and forth and he's like, Oh, I'd really like to do a slasher. Like, why aren't they making like fun slashers anymore? And that's how like we started with it. Like, was it, was it kind of like you both had, were kindred spirits because that was the kind of movie you mm -hmm. had traditionally grown up on you had watched when you were growing up yeah and i mean this is like 2010 so i mean we'd already gotten kind of past like the torture movies and they were kind of going into like the paranormal stuff sure. and yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean it's 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 fine at what it is like you know every genre of horror has to have its audience mm -hmm. and i totally appreciate that but i'm just like you know when was the last time there was like a really good slasher or just like a fun movie that you know you watched it and afterwards like it didn't so much scare you as it was just like oh i it was entertaining my friends that yeah, yeah exactly totally. and there was something that was just kind of missing from mm -hmm. today's horror with that so we made our first short teddy and it was just one of those movies where we're just like oh that was fun like you know, what the hell? Like, and we just started the Slasher Studios name just to have literally a credit at the beginning of the movie. Sure, like we, we had, sure. We, we didn't care at all. Like, we had no idea. So we started, and then that's when I started the website. And the website just started out with doing, like, horror reviews and mm -hmm. stuff like that, mainly Slasher-related, mainly 80s. And we just kind of did our cross-promotion of our own stuff through there. And then one thing kind of led to another, led to another, and then... After Teddy came out, we started out with uh, the podcast to kind of promote that. And we're like, okay, well, it'd be really fun if we had theme weeks. Like, what are our top five favorite final girls and top five favorite college slashers? And that kind of had a snowball effect in and of itself. And, yeah, we just kind of ran through it together. And then all of a sudden now it's like three years later and mm -hmm. we're three shorts in and working on our second feature, which yeah. is filming next month. That's awesome. I mean, yeah. you guys, you, you know, Steve traditionally has been the director of most of your stuff. Correct. What it, What is your role? Really um, I, you know, and even with the new one, um, this is the Dismembering Christmas is our new one. And this is the first one that Steve is not directing just because he just wants to kind of take a break. You know, it, it, he's got a family life and yeah. he gets to be alive. Oh, absolutely. I completely understand that. And, I'm a single guy staying at home. I'm just like, when are we going to make our next movie? Yeah, let's rock and roll, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I totally get that. And I was able to work on the script with him with that. But oh, so he still he yeah. still helped write mm -hmm. Dismembering Christmas, yep. which is which is your new film that's coming out. Correct. Yep. Uh, we co-wrote that. And so this is actually our first um, co-written movie since Teddy. I had written the other ones. So um, I am the writer and I am also the executive producer, which means um, I am in charge of funding, sure. budgeting, scheduling, um, all the, the really fun stuff. Yeah. Let me let me just tell you, the worst part of making films is that shit. And that's why I'm not a producer. Well, I am, unfortunately. I end up becoming right. one way more than I want to. Yeah. But uh wow, I don't pit I don't pity you at all. Well, and like I am very um Or envy you, I should say. <laughs> I do pity you. Um, I'm a very O C D person and I'm very um numbers oriented. Yeah. So I like doing that stuff. So 
I'm just the kind of person that like I couldn't even give it to somebody else because I'd be like, well, let me see that. Like, I yeah, yeah, you're just worried. It's yeah. in the back of your head. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd end up doing it anyway. So, hey, I enjoy it, and I'm one of the few people out there that's like, yeah, like let me do the the line budget for the day. Like, I'm really excited to check it out. <laughs> see, it's the same way with editors too. Everyone tells me, oh, I could never do that. I could never do this. There's a certain mentality for certain mm-hmm. roles within a production team that producers need that mentality. Yep. You can't have the dude that just wants to be the rock star yep. out there that's just looking to hobnob. There is a place for that. Mm-hmm. But when you're making micro-budget films like we are, there needs to be somebody that is that is keeping track of all those ones and zeros, making sure everyone's there on time, making sure they're fed, making sure that you have a crew that's actually paid. Right. That'll show up and actually put together a good film for you, right? Exactly. And, I mean, with this new movie, like... I, I just have all of this stuff going on in my head because we have some of our, our crew, like, our directors flying in from L.A., and he's bringing some of his crew with him. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like, it's the middle of winter. What if flights are delayed? Like, what if, like, there's all these, like, Right, totally. Like, I'm not going to know this the last minute. It's driving me crazy. But at the end of the day, you just kind of cross your fingers. And that's how really independent films are made. Yeah, you know? so absolutely. You just cross your fingers. Everyone does their job. Everyone does the best work they can. And at the end of the day, you got a movie to show for it. And no movie's perfect, but no movie's worthless. So you just got to make the best movie you can. Yeah, that's all you got to do. Just move forward. So now your first feature, uh, Don't Go to the Reunion, Steve Satin worked with you and directed that film. How? What was you know the experience of making your first feature? Um, it was... It was almost the complete opposite of this one in the fact that our first feature was very... I mean, we spent a good year on the script. Like, I I was really happy with our final draft of the script. And we really pushed it out there. Uh, I remember our... um, uh, we did crowdfunding, so our Kickstarter ended in February, and we were shooting it in April. Mm. So we had about a month of pre-production. Yeah, to all of that's, not <laughs> that's not <laughs> much. That's not much. And we had it finished and ready to go and out on DVD by August. That's a hell of a run, dude. <laughs> that's not like my schedules. My schedules like shoot it, and then maybe a couple years later, that motherfucker will come out. Yeah, and it was just one of those things where like, and Steve is just, you know, he was just a master editor with that, where he would just kind of lock himself in a room. Oh, so he does all the post-production on all um, of it. Yeah, he did the all of the editing on the last films. Um, this one, our new director, uh, Austin Bosley, the, the LA guy, um, he's going to be probably doing a lot of the editing for this one, and yeah, it's, it's a nice mix because on this new film, everyone that's involved in it, I've either worked with before or he's worked with there before. You go. So we have that kind of connection. And it'll be interesting to see kind of these like two families collide into mm-hmm. one movie. And I just hope, I'm just like, they're coming from California. I'm like, we're shooting in the Rhinelander area. Like a middle of nowhere. nowhere. It's yeah. going to be so cold. It's right on the lake. Like there's like trees and I'm just like... Oh, just cross fingers. I'm just like... Better warn them. You better warn them to bundle up and bring some clothes. (laughs) Rylander gets cold. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, like, I think that I can, you know, talk my head off, but unless you're there Mm -hmm. and have experienced Mm -hmm. before... 
you know, it's just one of those things where I was actually talking to him the other day and I'm like, oh, like it was almost 40 degrees here. Like it's time to get out the shorts again. And yeah. he's just like, oh, like I'm like, no, I'm serious. Like I probably <laughs> would wear shorts. I was like 40. <laughs> well, I know the last couple of weeks I've been surprised how it's been dipping up and down. Mm-hmm. So now your new director, how did you meet him and how did you come in, you know, to bring him in on this project? Well, I was talking to Steve about the movie and he would, you know, he wrote it with me and it was just one of those things where... I knew that this is the kind of movie with it being a Christmas slasher, it had to be done a specific time of year. I mean, you got like two months, maybe three. Uh, Everything is just kind of, you know, key of how the location, I mean, you can't make a winter slasher in Wisconsin without a ton of snow. And there was all these things and it just got down to the point where, you know, I could tell that, you know, it was, it was just getting to be too much. He was just, wasn't ready to jump into another project. And I completely understand that. So I just kind of did this call out on, on Twitter. And I'd been friends with Austin for a long time. I I never actually talked to him like on the phone before or anything, but we'd been friends through Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr and every single like social media because everyone's connected. Oh, of course. Constantly. Uh, Yeah. So like everyone knows somebody that knows somebody else. So I just did this like a call and I'm just like, Hey, like I might be looking for a new horror director for Dismembering Christmas. And he sent me a PM on Twitter and he's like, okay. He's like, and it's really funny because I'd actually sent him the script like a week before just to get feedback on it because he's working on a bunch of Mm, shorts. So he's familiar with the project. Yeah. So he, he had just read it. So he's like, yeah, that he's like, I would love to talk to you about that. So he called me. We talked on the phone for four hours just about our favorite horror movies, what we thought the tone of this one was. And right away, he's just like, I just want to make the movie for what it is. And that's just a fun slasher. Like, I don't want this to be, you know, pretentious or over the top. And I'm like, okay, like, I... I got my guy. Like, mm-hmm. like he knew right away. Like, and I could just talk to him and be like, okay, well, this scene is like Friday Thirteenth Part Two, and this is like this, and like it wasn't like a oh well, if you can check this movie out, like this is the scene. Yeah, like, no, he, he already had right. that. In his, yeah, <laughs> so that was great. Where he we had like that instant connection, and uh, one of his favorite movies of all time, if not his favorite movie of all time, is Evil Dead, and so mm-hmm. we talked about that and just like the cinematography of that, and just kind of. You know, one thing that we both kind of agree with is that horror today, even like indie horror, it plays it very safe. Mm-hmm. Where it just kind of, you know, you get the two shots and you get this and there's this cut and, you know. It's what, what I like to call or what my, my friend Jason Paul Collum refers to as the Dave Dakota style of, of <laughs> filmmaking, which is you have your master shot, you have your medium close up and then you have your close up. Every scene. Yeah. That's it. No set dressing. Yep. Like, like you, know, you got white walls everywhere. Yep. Like, same mansion that you're filming. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Which, I mean, hey, like, if you can make 50 movies a year doing it that way, like, more power to you. Like. But, but when you're an independent filmmaker, you have to stand out in mm-hmm. some way, which I I agree with you completely that most of the stuff nowadays is so cookie cutter. It's trying to keep up with the big stuff. Mm-hmm. And that is totally belies like the power that the independent filmmaker actually mm-hmm. has to do something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's exactly right. You know, I, I talk to horror filmmakers and I think too often, um, I mean, not to put down anyone, but I think it's, it's very common in indie horror where they're just, you know, kind of like, I'm going to make a lower budget this. I'm yeah. like, well, why don't you make your totally. own movie? Totally. Like, if you start out, you know, with your own idea and grow from there, you have much more 
to work with as opposed to, okay, well, I want to make this $5 million feature. How do I do it for 10000 Like, you're just going to end up getting frustrated and you're not going to get anywhere in the long run. Absolutely. I agree with you completely. That was like, that was entirely the mentality behind our film that you were actually part <laughs> yeah. of Hole in the Wall was that uh, how, how do we take... Uh, independent cinema and uh, completely subvert the the known paradigm right now, Mm -hmm. which is zombie films, supernatural films, or some retread of something else that's a parody of it. Yes. So what what do you do? You do completely the opposite in every way, mm-hmm. and not and and I think you know, don't go the reunion. While it is a send up of the old films, there's a definite spirit behind it mm-hmm. that where you guys it was more of an embodiment mm-hmm. of that era as opposed to a direct copy. Yeah, I mean, you had definitely scenes <laughs> that were, you know, direct homages right. to the that stuff, but there was a definite vibe to it. Mm-hmm. That is that was missing in a lot of this stuff that people are trying yeah. to do. Uh, how was the reaction been to that film? It's been really good. I mean, obviously, you know, you're going to have some some negative feedback, and all negative feedback is warranted. I mean, there's a lot of it that you know. At the end of the day, when you're a filmmaker, you're your own worst critic. Like a fair review isn't going to, even if it's negative, isn't going to tell you anything that you didn't already know. Right. Like, like there's a million things where, you know, I can watch, like, the final film. And, and it all comes down to, like, me. Like, I'll be like, oh, like, I wrote that line and it just sounds, it sounded so good on paper and then I'm just like, it just doesn't work when, yeah. when read. And it's just, it's one of those things where you can second guess yourself a million times. All the time. And I watched it so much through editing that, like, I could go probably 10 years without <laughs> watching it again. Yep. But watching it with, like, an audience that like knows these movies where you know I can be like okay well they're you know it's it's not one of those things where I I have to explain it and one of the things that we wanted to do with Don't Go to the Reunion as opposed to it just being an homage was we kind of wanted to take it that that one step further without giving too much away the the whole idea behind that movie was you know hey you know if we were serial killers like how would we kill people like and that that's how it came up with the idea for our ending which um is kind of our reaction to like the scream movies and like the the meta self-awareness was what if you know we took that kind of one step further and had like a meta reaction to the meta reaction to horror, <laughs> which just sounds like a, a it's inception. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the inception <laughs> of retro slasher films. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like it was one of those things where, like, I, I think that a big a big problem that I have with just like when you're doing kind of an '80s slash homage is that. Um, too often I I don't believe the stuff that's going on you know I think that they'll have like a a kind of gray idea of what they want to do but we knew right away we're like okay well these are these are the movies that were you know directly taking from and that was the whole point and that was just kind of how we came up with that idea and we just kind of rolled from it through there and yeah I mean the audience reaction has been really good um, I would say that most people have either liked it or said like okay well um, 
I don't particularly like it, but I at least appreciate it. I get what you yeah. guys are doing. And, like, at the end of the day, like, and we actually got a negative review that's like, I didn't like this movie, but I think this guy, these guys made the movie they wanted to make. Which, at the end of the day, like, that's the best thing that a negative oh, review can ever yeah, say. Totally. Like, like, this movie wasn't for me, but, hey, it was for somebody because they made it and... They made the movie they wanted to. So at the end of the day, you know, that's like the best negative review well, anyone they're, can get. They're essentially giving you the respect that you guys weren't going in sloughing and mm-hmm. half-assing it. That you guys had a definite vision of what you wanted to go right. forward with and you executed it. Now, you know, personal taste aside, I mean, that's that's purely opinion. Mm-hmm. Some people don't like... I'm not a huge slasher fan. I, I grew up watching Friday the <laughs> 13th and, and The Prowler and Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff like that. But when it comes to me now as a 37-year-old man, I don't particularly ever pop that kind of stuff in. <laughs> um, but I, I definitely appreciate stuff like yeah. that. And, and when when you see stuff that has energy and, and definitely has care taken to it... Mm-hmm. You have to appreciate it. Now, yeah. I, we get bad reviews. I get bad reviews all the time for <laughs> the stuff that we do. Um, but we also make some really crass bullshit. Um, but I think, you know, as long as the reviewer, because I don't really take too much credence into that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think as long as the re- reviewer shows um, the filmmakers enough respect and, and has watched the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and kind of gets what they were going for and it's right. just one of these like angry slander pieces which I think a lot of it, it's become in vogue to just go on and mm-hmm. there's, that's why there's so many different horror podcasts I can't even stand listening to because it's mostly just guys just wanting to rant and rave yeah. and, and be dicks yeah and I don't understand that I guess that's something with with horror today you know I talk to some people and this is really the minority you know I would say the majority of horror fans are absolutely incredible you know, I love going to cons. I love going to film fest because they're there because they really like it and they really appreciate it. But there's kind of this backlash, especially towards indie horror, where it just becomes like, oh, well, I'm just going to watch this movie just to rag on it. Like, I know I'm going to hate it. And why would you go into any movie? Like, why would you waste an hour and a half of out of your life if you know you're going to hate it and you know I, I have it's my, part of our culture now yeah like the just, snarky <laughs> kind of ironic movie viewer mm-hmm. you know yeah and I mean it's gotten to the point now where you know people do a movie review in a tweet I'm like if you can review a movie in 140 characters like how much were you really paying attention or how much did you really it's not care? worth your time yeah, exactly. even, even like look at that mm-hmm. yeah but at the end of the day, what are you going to do? Well, <laughs> the internet is full of a bunch of self-professed experts. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. So let's let's get off of that. Tell me, what is Dismembering Christmas? Okay, Dismembering Christmas, I'm going to completely contradict myself. When before, I'm like, oh, you know, you shouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to make like a lower budget version of this big budget version <laughs> thing. Because that's where I started with Dismembering Christmas. <laughs> so the, the Dismembering Christmas idea, where I guess it kind of started with this idea, but... Um, I was talking to Steve, and this was right after Don't Go the Reunion, and we knew that we wanted to make another slasher feature. We didn't quite know what we were going to do. And this was right at the beginning, like the early stages of kind of like the, the new Friday the 13th rumors. Where, oh, like, yeah, it was you, coming you out. mean the found footage? Yeah, 3D. T- like. TV show. <laughs> and I'm just like, why are they doing this? I'm just like, why don't they just make a Friday the 13th during the winter time? I'm like, that's what everyone wants to see. And I'm I like, think they just want to they just want to <laughs> talk about making a Friday the 13th film. I don't think they really want to make a Friday the 13th. I don't think they do either. I think they just want to cash the paychecks from it and cash like the brand name. But I'm just like, well, why don't we make a Friday the 13th? 
13th movie, like, during the wintertime. And, and then we kind of went back and forth. We're like, oh, like, do we write, you know, a spec script for Friday the 13th? I'm like, no, no, because no one's going to read it. And, no one's ever and you'll never that. get that many. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm just like, well, why don't we take that idea of these slashings happen that's on this lake house that's rented for winter break, all these teenagers that are there to, you know, just have a good time. Or It's following very much... The Friday the 13th formula, you know, where we have, like, the the strong girl, we have, like, the rich kid. But at the same time, like, we we deliberately, when we were writing the script, we're like, well, what's wrong with Slashers today? And one of the first things that we, we both came up with is that the characters are so unlikable, just mm-hmm. grating, where yeah. you're just like, I don't care whether they live or die. Like, I just want them all to die. So we <laughs> we actually, like, we went through great pains through the, the Dismembering Christmas script writing process where we tried to make the characters as likable and earnest and just not so much nice, but... Uh, yeah, like, the biggest problem with the Slashers today is that none of these really feel like real people, where I'm just like, this is like a Midwestern group of kids that, like, yeah, I mean, everyone kind of falls into their own little, like, archetype, but, like, yeah, sure. at the end of the day, like, they all have their own individual personalities, and we really try to do that with that, and... You try doing the same thing with Don't Go to Reunion. Mm-hmm. All those people felt fair, pretty fleshed out for a micro-budget indie feature. Yeah, I mean, we definitely, like, try, like, where, you know, we, we have, like, the these character outlines where I'm just like, okay, well, you know, this is where I, I want these characters to grow. Like, this person's going to have this scene, this person's going to have this, and I know that with writing, everyone kind of has their their own way of doing it. With this, with every slasher movie I've ever done, I don't know if I'd recommend this to anyone else. It just happens to work for me. I always write the the, the opening, and then I, I write the final act, because I'm like, well, with a slasher, like, you have, more than pretty much any other subgenre of horror, you have to know where you're going. Mm-hmm. You have to, if you're going to make a Especially any kind of whodunit, you have to make sure that everything's oh, yeah. going to fall into it makes place. Sense. Yeah, and like, and it's one of those things where that's what I did with that, where I'm like, I know that this is our final act, and I'm so proud of this final act. It's like Friday the Thirteenth meets like Black Christmas meets like Silent Night Deadly Night. Sure, which I, I don't even know how to describe it. I'm digging it, but, that. Yeah, and we we try to make it as you know all of our you know it's very much our movie where. You know, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is, like, our slasher that's not only the wintertime, but, and without giving too much away, every single death in this movie is somehow related to either the winter season or the holiday season. Like, every single death from beginning to end. Like, we (laughs) purposefully made certain props there that are handy for our killer to um, (laughs) whether, you know, I'm I'm not going to give away what they are, but every single... Thing in this movie that kills somebody, somebody's had around their house for Christmas sure, time, especially sure. in the Midwest. So it's so. not going to be your traditional. He's going to find a butcher knife, or he's going to get no. a, uh, an axe and run around, or a hacksaw, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and it's very much kind of um, retooling these kind of Christmas ornaments oh, more than anything funny. to make them deadly, to make them you know available to kill someone. Sure. 
<laughs> so, so this sounds like more you're still going to stay in line with kind of the playfulness of mm-hmm. don't go to the reunion as opposed to, like you said, Silent Night, Deadly Night, right. which is one of the slimiest slasher films ever made. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is very much like, and this is a very much a different movie than Don't Go to the Reunion. It doesn't have any meta self-awareness at all. Like, there's no... This is know, just a straightforward, you're yeah, making like, your own like, there, There's here. no, like, references to other horror movies. There's no kind of winking toward the camera. Like, it's very much that 80s of, like, the, oh, like, you know, what's going on? Is there someone out there? Like, yeah, yeah, But sure. at the same time, like, you know, it, we're, we're aware of it, but, you know, it's one of those things where it, it's a fine line between having fun and knowing the kind of movie you are, but at the end of the day, you better take your death seriously mm-hmm. because I think that too often when everything's played for camp value, which has its place, you know, I love a good campy movie, but when it's kind of all at that level, you kind of watch it at the you know, you watch it all the way through and you're like, okay, well it's kind of so fluffy, what? right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, kind of fluffy. There's no tension, there's mm-hmm. there's no weight to it. Yeah, and there there's there's nothing to take away from it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's one thing that I guess with slashers and yeah, I mean I grew up with them, you know, much like you. Like I watched like John Bright Bob Briggs Monster Vision oh, of course. and like Sat- USA Saturday Nightmares and Up All Night and yeah. all of those like you know, that was like my my mentality growing up, but I still like that today, like 25 years later, mostly because my, I gotta do a shout out to my mom because my mom introduced me to all of these movies. And now all of these years later, like my mom, who is now in her sixties will come to visit. She'll be like, Oh, did you get any new horror movies? (laughs) Slashers are still her favorite. It's the sixties. Like I, um, you know, it's, unbelievably trashy but one of my mom's favorite movies of last year is Nurse which is oh just like oh my like, gosh like and there's so much nudity in there and so much violence yeah. oh, and yeah. my mom like after the movie is done my mom's like that's the kind of movie you just want to watch again <laughs> <laughs> That is so yeah, because the lead actress, what's her name, Paz de la Huerta? Yeah. She, her tits are out, like, probably 75% of that fucking movie. Well, there's this whole scene where she's got to walk around, and she's not only topless, she's also bottomless. Like, my mom is very much non-puritanical. Right? Yeah. Like, it's just like, oh, okay, like, what's going on? Like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's funny. But yeah, like, I'll, I'll have, like, this big stack of movies, and my mom will look through them, and, like, she'll be like, okay. Cherry-picking well, what yeah, she like, wants to watch? She'll put them in order of like the movies. <laughs> so, what was the first film that she introduced you to? Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre at six. Really? You yeah. got me shit. Six years old, you watched Texas Chainsaw. My mom would. My mom always had the same rule with me. She said, "You can watch this, but if you have nightmares, I don't want to hear about it." Like, oh, like <laughs> keep it in the closet. Yeah, so I was like, I don't want to hear about it. I told Here's you, you should watch this. Eight yeah. years old. <laughs> And, like, that movie gave me nightmares for, like, days. And, like, like for, like, the first day after. I'm like, I never want to watch a horror movie again. And then, like, a week later, there's something about it where... And I think this is kind of where, like, the seed has grown for, like, every horror fan and a horror filmmaker. Where I'm just like, I, I, I want to feel that feeling again. Yeah. Where, like, I just wanted, like, I wanted to, like, run to, like, the, the horror section of, you know, our, our mom and pop video store. And I just wanted to, like, I could literally stand there for hours. And I'm sure I probably did. Just looking at the covers. And, like, just, like, even, like, the movies, like, there were a few that my mom just wouldn't let me rent. She let me rent about 95 what, what, what were those? What were those movies? Do you remember? Um, any of the ones that were, like 
overly sexual. Like oh, I was like okay. a little. So the violence like, wasn't the thing; it was the sexuality. Yeah, and like even like in the movie it was like it's really funny. Like the movie gets my mouth, but I think it was more of like the she doesn't want people to know that I just read these yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> So so she, she doesn't so, want to walk up yeah, there with but, a bunch of Shannon Tweed movies. Yeah, right? like or like Forty Bands here. She didn't want to give them like the VHS cover, but if it was if it was on like Kale, she'd be like, oh yeah, go ahead. So I think it was more of an embarrassment for her. But um, so I, I can't think of like any. I, I think it was less like scantily clad covers, and like witchcraft like, and stuff yeah, like that. I was like, ah, oh, like can't you pick something else? Like she she would she wouldn't say like you cannot have that. And like I still even remember like. Like, at the age of, like, 10, and this isn't even horror-related. No, I guess I was a little older. Like, maybe, like, 12. Um, Kids came out, and I wanted to rent it. And I brought it up That's there. That's a doozy. And the lady's like, you are not renting this. And I'm just like, call my mom. Like, it's fine. Like, <laughs> like it's like the lady's telling my mom, like, over the phone, like, everything that happens in this movie. Mom's like, that's fine. Like, you want rent whatever you want. It's like, I don't care. <laughs> it's like, I rented that, like, the age of 12. So, like... I don't know. It was just one of those things. And I watched, like, early, like, John Waters movies where, like, I, I wouldn't say that I was desensitized, but I, I realized at a very early age that this is all fake. Like, right. At the end of the you day, can like, handle that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it really comes down to not every kid can, you know, mm-hmm. and it really comes down to kind of, like, the – and that's a whole other topic. Well, to like, be able to assess – the level of comfort and the level mm-hmm. of intelligence and trusting your child that they can discern through mm-hmm. because I'm a parent myself. So I have a seven-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old. And I know which what kind of stuff each of them can watch. My seven-year-old, like I just told her, because they're gonna be here tomorrow night, I just bought Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And um, I know she hates guns. Okay. Anything that has guns in it, she'll watch anything else. But if there's guns in it, forget it. It freaks her, it freaks her out completely. Yeah. My three year old, bring it on. Like I bought, <laughs> I just bought. Um, what is it? Like a month or two ago, I bought the Leprechaun box set. Okay. I started watching part one because part one's fairly bloodless. Yeah. There's really nothing that goes on, and the Leprechaun character is kind of funny, and he goes <laughs> around and does his thing. She was obsessed with it. Just <laughs> obs- she couldn't wait to watch more. Leprechaun. And uh, so it's just, I think you have to trust your children to be able to discern what's what and and sit there with them Mm -hmm. and talk through these things with them (laughs) as opposed to being one of these parents that that end up slapping people for making these types Mm -hmm. of films or showing them these types of films because they just throw their kids in front of a television set and don't sit and properly like be a parent to Mm -hmm. them. No, I completely agree. And I mean, when I was like, I did some babysitting when I was like a teenager. And th- there was one girl that I used to watch where I knew that her parent, her her dad did not care. Like she she could watch whatever she wanted. Yeah. And she could really handle it. Like she just, I was just like, oh, okay. Like, and like her favorite movie to watch in the, and I don't know for whatever reason or even why I should have even let her watch this, but her favorite movie to watch in the was Serial Mom. And she she didn't know the title, but she's like, can we watch that movie where the lady kills the lady with the meat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and they, that is one of that's one of John's tamer movies mm-hmm. too. So, well, I, well, obviously after Hairspray, right? And maybe that's like my favorite because like that's the closest he ever came to like making a slasher. Like, yeah, I mean, film, yeah. yeah, I mean, not only like, and I mean, we can talk about this too, but like. Like, like, Serial Mom is in my top five of all time for a number of uh, reasons. Like, it's got, like, the, the classic, like, John Waters, like, weird take. But then you also have the slasher mentality. Mm-hmm. And then you also have, like, this 
very um, satire of like Hollywood, like m- like what we think is going to happen, like and, yeah. as opposed to what like the real like bad guys are. And I I knew from like a young age, and I'm just like this is hilarious. Well, like, and the performances are just like, Kathleen Turner is so good mm-hmm. in that film, and that's one of those movies. It's like more than probably any of his films was so ahead of its time. Like, to think of that happened, like, before O.J. Simpson or before, like, the, you know, Court TV or, Mm -hmm. you know, like, the Law and Order. Like, all of this, like, big stuff of, like, making celebrities out of murderers. Like, he was, like, way ahead of that. And it's just, yeah, I mean, I think it's just utterly fantastic. And, yeah, I mean, Kathleen... Turner is just great. She's like, phenomenal she's in that amazing. film. Like yeah. it's so good, and I, I probably watch that movie like once a month. And going back to my mom, <laughs> like, like going back to my mom, like that's the movie we watch for Mother's Day. Like if I see it's her for Mother's Day, we mom. watch Cereal Mom. Oh, that's like, that's <laughs> yeah, touching. that's like yeah, like that's our um, our bonding movie is like um, is Cereal Mom because I, I know that like. You know, this sounds really twisted, but, like, I, I know that you would do that for me, so. That's, that's, that's great. Now, have you ever met John? I have not. I really want to. Oh, like, you need to go and see him speak live. He's a great I know, guy. No, I want to so bad. Like, I, I even, like, because I know that she, he's going to be at, um, is it uh, Culture Shock? He's going to be at, is it Days of the Dead um, Indianapolis? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I even have my um, Serial Mom laser disc. Do it. Do <laughs> I it. need to. I saw him in, at Lawrence University here in 96. Oh, I am so jealous. Oh, he's, he's I just met Mink Stoll at Cinema Wasteland. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I basically gushed all over for, for I, there was no one else at her table. I'm like, I think it's my opportunity. To, I can sit and like gush for a little while. Yeah. But that's, that's great. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I would love to meet him. Like, he's just one of, like, like I'm not a huge commentary fan. I will, I will listen to them like if I'm really interested in the movie or whatever but like he's one of the few that like not only have I listened to all of his commentaries I've listened to them like multiple times because he's just one of those people that like I could sit down and just listen to him tell a story for hours yeah Yeah. and he's just one of those people that you know no matter how old he gets like he's still got his you know finger on the pulse of exactly what's going on in America Mm -hmm. and it's been way too long like I want to see like I want to see John Waters make another movie and just kind of take on like 2014's America because like I think that he's got so much to say and um, unfortunately kind of you know those those kind of movies that he used to make that's like those like mid-budget movies like they're just not being made anymore everything's either ultra low budget or it's like you know like 10 million or higher you know well it's because it's all about and I had this conversation with Mink when I saw her at Cinema Wasteland in October is that because he's been trying to make this Christmas movie Mm -hmm. for years now and I asked, I'm like, Mink, what's going on with this movie? I mean, are you involved with this? Are they finally going to get this? She's like, I don't know if this is ever going to get made because Mm -hmm. financiers now only care about that opening weekend. Mm -hmm. If you don't make that opening weekend and make your budget back and make your big hit, then it's a failure. Yeah. Sure. Down the line. She, what did she, how did she uh, say it? John doesn't make opening weekend blockbusters. He makes long-term movies. Mm -hmm. Makes movies that'll make their budget down the road. Yeah. And financiers don't care about that anymore. Mm -hmm. They want their quick pop and they want to make that money. 
And unfortunately, John Waters has never been that kind of person. Yeah, and I think that you hit the nail right on the head with, like, movies today. You know, everything, you know, if you're going to pitch a movie, you better have a poster art. You better have an idea for a trailer. You better be able to sell that in one sentence or, you yeah. know, people don't care. You know, it's not like, okay, well, I'm going to do, you know, this satire and this, which is going to be connected to this. Like, well, first of all, as soon as you say satire, you know, it doesn't make money. But, right. like, like, but anything that's, like, yeah, like, people just don't... Even, like, independent film outside of horror has become so pretentious and everything. Like, like I, I was, like, watching, like, all of these, like, 90s independent films, like, movies like um, House of Yes and, like, Citizen Ruth, where I'm just like, why don't they make these kind of independent movies anymore that are very, like, biting or cutting edge or have something to say as opposed to... You know, movies like today, you know, and I'm sure it's got its fans. I'm just going to use this as kind of an example, but a movie like Little Miss Sunshine, which is technically an independent film, but it's just a Hollywood movie on a smaller budget. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of, yeah. you know, doing all like the check marks. Well, we have like the, the, the happy ending and, you know, we have like these quirky characters and, uh, you know, everything that's, you know, it's just become like a checklist of what do and don't do in Hollywood and you know nothing's about kind of thinking outside the box anymore well I also think that the culture has changed drastically mm-hmm. since day, the 90s the mid yep. 90s late 90s where like Parker Posey and those film, the mm-hmm. films like House of Yes and stuff like that came out is because there was a video market at that yep. time people didn't sit at home and just flip through a catalog mm-hmm. you know where now all those type of movies they never go out the theatrical distribution. Yep. There's really no brick and mortar stores, other than at least in this area, other than Family Video, right? To be able to go rent physical copies of these mm-hmm. movies, most of those movies will never reach brick and mortar stores to buy. Mm-hmm. I mean, look what stores even sell movies now. You have Walmart, you have Best Buy, you have Barnes and Noble, and we're just talking in in our area. I mean, yeah. yeah, there's there's going to be. You know, Tower Records and Mm -hmm. in all these other places and in bigger markets. But really, most of the options are gone. So all there is is streaming. Yeah. Who's going to plunk down money to hopefully get enough views to be able to warrant a deal Mm -hmm. with Netflix or Hulu unless you're with a distribution company that's already basically made their money back right. on the distro deal. So there's no market for that kind of stuff anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's just really sad. I mean, I, you know, although they were not exactly the biggest slasher fans at all, like, lately I've been watching, like, all of these, like, old, like, Siskel and Ebert reviews online where, you know, even when I didn't agree with them, like, it, they were kind of, like, my start of like watching like independent films because like they would show clips on there and it was you know you got to know what these movies were about as opposed to how do we sell it in 30 seconds for this like and they're you know even that kind of criticism is gone from today where you know you could sit down and talk and say like okay well this is what I thought of the movie and this is what I thought of the movie and there wasn't necessarily a right or wrong opinion as opposed to but it was an educated opinion it wasn't like the the yahoos that are on the internet now that have that basically like investment I I don't mean to stereotype but most of them are dribbling mongoloids they have no idea what the hell they're talking Mm -hmm. about yet they have hundreds of thousands of views and they've don't even know what the hell they're they're talking about. There's no nuance to their opinion. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Where 
Siskel and Ebert, regardless of the fact that I disagreed with them, well, obviously we're horror fans. We right. disagreed with them completely. <laughs> yeah. Because they hated horror films, especially the kind of films you like. You know? <laughs> well, you tell even, me one Friday the 13th film those motherfuckers yeah, they, well, ever they had them. anything good to say about. Well, they Ebert did like Wes Craven's New Nightmare. <laughs> we're going to come back to this in a little while. You know, like, seriously, they hated all the Fri- Friday the 13th films, and especially Silent Night, Deadly Night. Mm-hmm. That that's a classic story. Yeah. And it's really weird with, like, Ebert, because, like, one of his first reviews was he gave a glowing review to Last House on the Left. I know, like, right? It's just very, you know, and it's one of those things, too, where, you know, I can go back and say, like, why did you give this bad review to this movie? But at the end of the day, number one, it's their opinion. Two, I can go back and probably reviews that I've written and say, like, I don't even agree with that anymore. Yeah. Like, for myself. People evolve. Because tastes change. Yeah, like, totally. And it just kind of happens. And although I completely disagreed with them on kind of um, how they felt about 80s slashers, I, you know, there's, like, these weird ones that kind of came through with them where I was actually... Um, I was actually watching one of their their 90s shows, and uh, Siskel actually picked for one of his buried treasures, People Under the Stairs. That's interesting. Like, and he he was one of the, he, he even gave a thumbs up to Shocker, which, like, it's just very Whoa. weird. That's <laughs> really strange. Like, and he was like, you, you gotta watch that one, because it's hilarious. He's like, he was like, can you explain this movie to me? Because it doesn't make sense at all. And then, like, so Siskel goes on, like, this two-minute thing of, like, well, this is how this connected to this. And he's like, does it make sense now? He's like, no. <laughs> That's that was the fun about those two guys though, because they had diametrically opposed yeah. opinions on most of everything. And when they did connect, it was it was like you better mark that shit on the calendar. Yeah. And it's one of those things too. And like even like Ebert who didn't like people on the stairs, like he just made me laugh because he called it funeral home alone. Like, which that's what it is. Like <laughs> I, I loved his, like, I'm not a big Twitter person, mm-hmm. but he was one of the few people on Twitter toward the end of his life that I actually followed, because mm-hmm. he always had such biting commentary for everything yeah. that he felt, and it was it didn't come from a place of hate. It came yep. from, from somebody who had deeply thought about what they were talking about, mm-hmm. as, as opposed to the vast majority of everyone out there. Exactly. There. And there was nothing that... You know, with him, that was really interesting that I liked was, you know, even when his tastes changed or anything, like, it wasn't like, uh, you know... You know, I you know I was you know dumb or like I was wrong or anything like it was just like a, hey like if I were to view this now this is what I would have thought of it as opposed to just kind of going back on you know your own word because like you said you know tastes do change and there's movies that I grew up with as a kid that you know I thought were like the best movies in the world that I can't even watch today because it's yeah. just it's terrible and I think that there's I, I do think that, you know, even to kind of tie this back into, like, the, the slasher um, subgenre, you know, there even people that have been fans for, you know, 30 years, which, you know, I have and many other people have, like, everything's kind of tinged with nostalgia, you know, where people are like, well, like, that movie sucks. Like, why couldn't they have made them? I'm like, well, 
honestly, they weren't that good back then. Like you liked it because you were these a are the kid. Mi- like, these are the micro budgets of that mm-hmm. era. They they were the low budget films, and you loved them because yeah. you were at that right period mm-hmm. of time where you weren't oversaturated with this stuff. When I was a kid, one of my first experiences with with a slasher film was Friday Thirteenth Part Two. Okay, I was at I was probably. I want to say 11 years old and I was at like a slumber party like some sort of like a friend's birthday party or something mm-hmm. like that and they actually they rented it and we sat and watched it I remember thinking holy fuck that's, <laughs> that's a nasty movie <laughs> right and I think when you're that age and you're exposed to that kind of stuff in the the way that those films were made, because they're even though Friday the 13th Part 2 is a darker film mm-hmm. there's still playfulness to it yep the films now don't have playfulness to mm-hmm. them. And, I mean, there is kind of this, you know, you can watch, I would argue, any of the the core, and this is like the what slasher fans say, like the core Paramount 8, like 1 through 8, where some are definitely better than others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you still, even like the darker ones, like Five especially, like you still either like the ca- yeah, you still either liked the characters or you like to hate the characters. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. wasn't just a oh, like, I hate these. And the first couple especially, really, I mean, I won't say these characters were necessarily well developed, but at the same time, you weren't just waiting for them to die. Mm-hmm. Like they they seemed like real kids, and yeah. that's something that you know you get a big budget remake today and you know they're all like Abercrombie Fitch models that just hopped off of you know the latest CW show and everything is so scrubbed to you know even when just there's cardboard cut out people yeah, that you don't like, believe and even like the the gore just seems very half ass where it's just like well we have to have it here because of this but because this is a slasher film yeah it, it doesn't matter because we're going to have this poster with all these good looking yeah, people on it exactly. and people are going to go see an opening weekend because right. they're going to be like oh well, they're hot and maybe they'll get naked yeah yeah <laughs> Totally. So, so, give me give me your favorite Friday, Friday film and give me your worst Friday film. Okay, are we talking just core Paramount? No, we're talking the whole okay, the, the whole there. all of them. Okay, so my favorite. Okay, I ask you this because Friday's my franchise. Well, and it's one of those things too where it's like, well, it, I don't know. Like, there's all these talks that you can have with slash fan. It's like, well, is it favorite or best? Like, no, no, no. I, your okay. personal favorite. Personal, I don't care about like okay. anybody else. My, I'm talking about Kevin Summerfield sits down <laughs> and wants to watch a Friday Thirteenth film. What's the it's one he's going to be? Put part in? seven, mainly because number one, once again, nostalgia. It was the first one that I watched, and you had this badass looking Jason. And you had these deaths, which were censored to unbelievable belief. But um, at the same time, like, they were really over the top. They still were pretty gory. Yeah, I mean, Jason looked really cool. Like, that's, like, the best-looking Jason. Like, I love, like, the mask, and you get to see, like, the the John Carl Buechler really, you know, that was was just amazing makeup. And I still remember, like, I remember, like, that was the first one that I owned. Like, I bought, like, the, the... previously played like VHS from our and it was like so beat up and so I watched it and like I still remember like I, I watched like the opening because like they do they have like crazy Ralph do like the you know there's a legend around of here course. like and I remember like this is like the horror geek of me but I, I took down a, a pad of paper and a pen and I was like writing these notes because I hadn't seen any of the other ones so I was trying to figure out what had happened what the story and, all was, these right? and which ones were from which movie and how this is connected to this and like I think that that's just something that a slasher fan does like that's kind of like the brain set and 
me kind of falling in love with that movie. Plus, it's got a really good bitch character. Like, and oh if yeah, if you're gonna have a slasher, if you have a, a character that you love to hate, you're 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 on the right track, and it's got a really good final act. Like the very ending is questionable to the least <laughs> but but like the final act itself is pretty good like it holds up pretty well today well it's carrie versus jason exactly like if you can sell it in kind of one sentence like like that's how you do it and i i am amazed like for those of you guys out there who have listened to uh chris like memories like they were shooting that in february and it was in theaters in may like I like shooting on film and editing. Like I can't even comprehend that. But you got to remember that was the era of practical effects. Mm -hmm. There was no opticals that had to go into post production on that. I mean, for Christ's sake, the credits were done in video, (laughs) right? I know. I love it. (laughs) It's so cheap. It's so fucking cheap. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where that's that's my my favorite of it just because I watched it so much when I was a kid. I still probably watch it a couple times a year. Um, the one that I think is probably the best, I, I go back and forth between two and six. I think two out of the series is the quintessential one. If, if someone were to come to me and say, I, I'm going to watch one of the Friday the 13th movies, which would you recommend to me? I would say part two. You got kind of the recap of the first one and you got a really good final girl. Mm-hmm. It tells the story. I love Baghead Jason. I know it's a mm-hmm. ripoff of Talented Dreaded Sundown. It doesn't matter because he's just Along like with creepy. it also being a ripoff of Bay of Blood. <laughs> right. But let's continue. But yeah, like, <laughs> it's one of those things where everything's borrowed from something. Like, yeah, and yeah. I'm sure that, like... But Friday 13 Part 2 more so than a lot <laughs> yeah. of other films. And it's just one of those things where I think that it hits all of the elements that it needs to. Six is one of those movies I really go back and forth on. I, sometimes I sit down and watch it, and I'll be like, this is my favorite of it. I'm like, oh, it's... Then I'll sit down and watch it again, and I'll be like, it's so goofy. Like, and it's... I think it all depends on kind of the attitude you take to oh, it. Yeah. But, um... Two, six, seven. Like, if I could pick three, like yeah. that would be like my trilogy that I'd watch. Very interesting. But... So the worst. The worst. Um, okay, so... My, my worst by far, and I know that it's got the people out there that like it. Fuck those people. What is, okay. what is Kevin Jason goes to hell. I just, I hate it so much. Like, Is it because <laughs> it's so different? Um, it's not so much that it's so different. It's the fact that I don't feel like they have the respect of the original series. All did you this, listen to the commentary? Yeah, I did. There you go. That's probably why, where you're getting some of that, too. Because I remember when I watched... I saw that... I remember when that came in the theaters. I went and mm-hmm. saw that. My brother and I went and saw that. And um, I was blown away by the audacity of it. Yeah. Not just the fact that it literally just took a shit on the entire mm-hmm. series and said, you know, I don't care about any of this. Right. But, but the sheer amount of vicious gore in that mm-hmm. film won me over. I think mm-hmm. over time... It hasn't aged well. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would definitely put it right there with like Freddy's Dead, where it was this. Well, New Line Cinema. Yeah, it was, and it was early eighty, early nineties horror, where nobody quite knew the tone of where to take horror anymore. Like, do we go goofy? Do we go serious? And there was kind of this mishmash of. I think that was kind of the start of you know, kind of what's really wrong with horror today of having too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, nobody really knows the movie that they want to make, mm-hmm. so they just kind of throw all these ideas at yeah. the wall and hope that something sticks. Uh, for me, Jason Goes to Hell, I mean, they spell the name wrong in the movie. Like, it's just... <laughs> I, I mean, like, 
it's stuff like that that I'm just like, oh, like it's just cringeworthy. And but you gotta admit, Creighton Duke's a pretty goddamn good character. I, he's really fun, and I do. I totally agree with you on the effects. I think it's. I think the effects are definitely the selling point of the movie. I even like the, the opening. I think the opening is really kind of. It's it's got a good borderline campy, but still kind of taking itself seriously. Like it's throwing itself mm-hmm. back the way that the remake did, where the whole opening act right. or opening scene is just a big homage to the old films. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it's got some. There's some fun there. Um, I think that if it's got a major problem, and for me it's got many problems, I think it's just one of those things where all of a sudden, yeah, like, Jason's the slug, and I mean, even if you're going to accept that, then you also have to accept that there's all these family members that we've never met before, and then all of a sudden, now he's after that, and where did he get all these other bodies, and then all of a sudden, there's a mythical dagger, and only the <laughs> dagger can kill him, and it's just, I mean... Yeah, I get you. I get you. And, you know, I can't say anything, because I, I loved Eight as a kid, and he gets killed with toxic waste in Manhattan, like, and he gets turned into a little kid. Like, does that make any sense? No, but I watched that when I was a little kid, it's why like and even like Jason goes to hell like I think when it first came out um like I really enjoyed it I think it was just kind of one of those things where I mean obviously I didn't see it in the theater I was too young but um I watched like the unrated the VHS Mm -hmm. and I was just like oh yeah like I think I just loved it for so over the top yeah exactly where like we finally got like all these deaths where everything else is kind of you know cutaways and kind of edited down in order to get an R rating where we finally finally got that um so i can at least appreciate that aspect of it for me everything else about that movie is complete it could have been any other kind of film without jason Mm -hmm. and i think that's kind of and you know any of the new line friday the 13th movies i don't think any of them are very good um you don't like jason x okay here's the thing about jason x I appreciate it for what it is, sure, sure, but sure. I don't like it as a Friday the 13th movie. Like, if it were, like, a sci-fi made-for-TV movie that was, like, in space, like, this killer that's killing all these people, I probably would have enjoyed it. Um, for me, I don't know. Is it just stray too far from the basic formula of what the series was? Is that what, yeah, what it is? Because it's... Because Manhattan kind of had that same problem. Yeah, and I think, too, I think that not only... The biggest problem with Jason X is that not only is is it Jason in space, which in and of itself can work, they also try to make... Jason in space with a scream attitude with like this very like oh snarky like, self referential yeah, 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 yeah. like, that doesn't work for that series like and I think that that's like the stuff and I mean by the time it finally came out it was on the back burner for years oh, yeah. but I mean by the time it finally came out I think it was like in 2003 like that was like so like we're like we're, we're so past like yeah. the scream era they really like, it, like it felt very dated. I mean, just from the special effects, the kind of the humor, everything about it, which now, 10 years later, I, I've I've warmed up to it because, like, that's kind of part of the charm is that it's just like, this is just kind of a mess of a movie, but I kind of enjoy the mess it, of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when it first came out, I think, too, whenever there's a movie that's kind of on the back burner for years horror fans just get so excited and they just get the, the build up and build up and build up and they're like this is going to be the best movie ever and especially when it's Jason in space yeah and it, it finally <laughs> came out and I think I was just like well 
that was pretty fun. Yeah, that like, was a movie. Yeah, I just, yeah, I mean, I don't, I definitely like it better than Jason Goes to Hell. Um, I, I guess if I had to pick one of the new lines that I like the best, and I know this is kind of a, I don't know how many people will agree with this, but I would actually probably pick Freddy versus Jason. Interesting. Uh, just for the fact that, and it's one of those things too where like I think it, I don't even know if I could pick it as the best Friday the 13th movie because I think it fails as a Friday the 13th movie. It works much better as a Nightmare on Elm Street film. Just from the look, the, the character types feel very Nightmare on Elm Street. The look yeah. of it, it's very, like very, very stylish. Well, it's, it's like, like uh, Hell was, mm-hmm. it's definitely not really part of the series, of yeah, either it's, series. It's just its own kind of thing. Yeah, and it's one of those things where like people ask me to like rate like the Friday the 13th series and like the Nightmare on Elm Street series, and I always end with like the original core because I'm just like, I, you know, where do you fit in like the remake or where do you fit in, like how do you compare X to like three or four or like they feel very out of place. Place where it's it's very it's very hard to kind of put it all together and well X kind of feels more akin to six than it feels yeah I to could definitely else. see that but yeah like Jason goes to hell is just completely out there and Freddy versus Jason is kind of um, it kind of feels like a spinoff of each of them yeah it feels more of a celebration of the characters as opposed mm-hmm. to in canon well how do you feel about Freddy versus Jason I saw it in the theater. Um, with a bunch of buddies, mm-hmm. we were ripped. The theater was packed, opening yeah, night, and it was a blast. It was one of the funnest times I've ever yeah. been in a theater. Um, when I bought on home video, it has not aged well. Yeah. It's not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely get that. And I saw it opening night at midnight. Also, you know, I was right there. It was the, you know, the, the packed crowd yeah. where like, you know, I don't people know. People are hooting and howling. Yeah, and people are. Up. Like, I remember like the the first death where um, he gets like, the, I guess, I don't know if you want to come like the opening, but like the, the first real death, like when he gets the machete through the bed and the bed collapses. That's a great Like death. people are just clapping in the yeah, theater. Like, yeah. I'm like, oh, like I feel at home. Like, yeah, this is like this is exactly great. like this group that I know that they've well, been waiting Well, that's the kind of movie long. that they wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those movies where, and I agree with you, I don't think it's aged all of that well. All things considering, given the concepts behind it, it's probably the best movie we would have ever gotten. Yeah. And I'm glad that it came out when it did, because I think that that movie today would just be awful. Like, it would just be the CGI, like, just terrible. It, it, it was on the precipice there, because it there was some of that in mm-hmm. there. I mean... The hookah, J- the hookah <laughs> right. Freddy, you know, the little caterpillar or whatever the fuck yeah. that was. Um, but they really shit the bed with that movie. Yeah. They really shit the bed. Kane should have been in that motherfucker. Why Kane wasn't in that movie to this day, you know Kane, it, it kills him. Right. Yeah, I mean, I feel really bad for the guy. And it's one of those things, too, where I don't know. It's 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 the one of the, the franchise that's... I have probably the most love-hate relationship with. I probably visit it once every couple of years. And this last time, I actually watched it this Halloween for the first time in probably three or four years. And I was actually like, this movie's pretty good. It's like, fun. And yeah. I think it's one of those things, too, where I can watch it today, especially like after watching like the Friday the 13th remake, where I can be like, well, they took a lot of chances here. Like, you mentioned the, you know, the... 
the hookah freddy with like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. like that's something that like today like there would be like a studio exec that's like you're not doing that right. like that's so stupid yeah, like yeah. and just like like the it's very stylish and it looks like it's just beautifully made like and yeah i mean it's definitely got its faults here and there but what horror movie doesn't exactly well let's let's wrap this up okay with, with a little unfinished business that yeah. you and i have <laughs> now now i'm going to be totally respectful about this okay because i know it's your favorite movie of all time <laughs> so so please tell well, me tell okay go ahead i'm gonna let you but 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 uh, let's okay. just get the let's just <laughs> let's just get this out of the way i will say that it's my favorite horror movie of all time. Okay, well, let's tell the listeners what we're actually talking about before we get into this. Now, for for years now, and it's mostly me trolling, I'll be honest, (laughs) I've been giving you shit about Wes Craven's new nightmare. Correct. For a long time on your slasher studio boards and whatever you're posting up on Facebook. I've never liked this movie. I remember going to the I remember going to the theater with my brother and his friends when it first came mm-hmm. out. So fucking jacked. I was so excited. I've been to every one of those since mm-hmm. I believe four in the theater. And I was just like, yes. And I remember walking out of there and like, <laughs> what the fuck was that? So please, I'm giving you the platform to be able to to be able to speak your mind and and, and give okay. your opinion on Well, I will say that um, you are so lucky because my first Freddy movie in the theater was Freddy vs. Jason. Like, I hadn't seen any of them. I would have killed to have seen them because um, Nightmare on Elm Street is just my favorite series. Friday the 13th is a very close second. But with Nightmare on Elm Street, um, I rented New Nightmare when it first came out on video and it had that awesome cover box, that, like, 3D. And all yeah, that. totally. It was really cool cool um there was something about it and i will be the first to admit that out of probably any movie it's definitely the most loved or hated Mm -hmm. where um it's definitely it's it definitely gives you a response of it um for me it's it's ahead of its time it was trying mm -hmm. to do things at that point and that's why i'll give always give it respect right because i think um its concept and its idea is very heady Mm -hmm. for the time that it was being made and it definitely set forth into motion a whole subgenre of films that he perfected with his next film with Scream. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I give it respect for that. My main problem with it is is I just think it's too on the nose. Yeah, and I could definitely get that. I think that it is very on the nose, and I don't know, for me, it holds a special place in my heart because it was the first horror movie I ever watched, and to this day, mm. I think it does the, I mean, like, for, for that does this, like, not the first movie I ever watched in general, yeah, but sure, the sure. first movie that, um, that I watched that really examined how horror movie affects those that are watching it. Sure. I still think to this day, um, although it's debatable for some, um, it, it really touches on a lot of issues that movies today, even the the meta self-aware ones, would be very afraid to touch. You know, you have Heather Langkamp playing herself, in my opinion, her best performance. I think she's really good. I think that one of the hardest things that you could ever do as an actor is play yourself because you never know how other people perceive you. It's very hard as opposed to, okay, well, I'm going to slip into this character. Sure. And I give her so much credit in the fact that I mean, she was not only playing herself, but she was playing herself in a movie where 
she was very much that person. I mean, she was married to a special effects artist, much like she is in real life. At the time, she was dealing with a stalker. There was all of these elements that were used in this movie that I thought was very intriguing. And I don't, like, there was something about the movie, and I think that more than most movies in the, the slasher subgenre, it, it it all depends on that first viewing. And there was something about it, when I sat down and watched it, I'm like, this is very special. Like, there was, there was something about, I don't know if it was Wes Craven's attitude towards the horror genre and kind of taking a step back and looking at how this genre affects not only the actors, the the families around it, the fans. The ripple effect. Yeah, Yeah. and it was one of those things that, like, that movie actually made me decide to go into, like, film theory in college because, like, that there was just something about that movie that I just found to be so just... And, and, like, I think that, you know, I do agree with you that it is... There are definitely moments of that movie that are very on the nose and a little too self-aware. But then there's all this other stuff where, I, I don't know, like, maybe it's just kind of like the child in the heart with me and having this kid kind of be the hero of it that feels very much like a real kid. I love their relationship. They feel very much like how a family would react to something like this. We got this great final act in the hospital where we got this doctor who is kind of the voice of every single critic that's like, oh, you have been letting your child watch these films. That's why he's acting like this. But at the same time, I give credit, uh, Craven a lot of credit of not making that character into a necessarily a villain. Because if you take a step back and look at a character like that, well, yeah. I mean, if this mother were to bring in the kid that's having these nightmares and she's got these Freddy claw marks in the hand, what would you do as a doctor? Right, right, right. And I think that there is kind of this mentality behind the movie where it's aware of this kind of ripple effect, but it it's not judgmental and it tries not to kind of point fingers and say this is this is the person at fault for this. But at the same time, it's ironically like you have this horrible incident for this family led by Heather Langkamp and it brings them closer together as this mother and son and there's something very touching about that and and maybe like I said it is kind of that that childhood mentality that I have that you know you kind of this like this is like the closest we ever had to like a horror movie version of Hansel and Gretel and we got like Freddy's Lair at the end and there's all <laughs> these these elements where there's some stuff of the movie like for me personally I think it's a perfect movie as opposed like if I could cut out like 10 seconds of the end and I think sure. that you probably know what those yeah, 10 seconds yeah, are yeah, like yeah. like if, if I were to, to cut that out I think that it's so I don't know it's it's one of the few slasher movies that I can sit down and watch and there's something that it just it, I find something new to it every single There's time. There's a lot going on in mm-hmm. it, and, and that's that's. I think that's what frustrates me so much about mm-hmm. that movie. And on a previous episode of Astro Radio Z, we went through 
the entire Nightmare on Elm Street series and, and TV series and uh, all ancillary things, and um, we sat and had it out about. <laughs> and I kind of laid it all out there. And my my thing I think is it's it's my least favorite of the series, and and the reason the reason <laughs> for this is is because. Um, there's so much potential there. Mm-hmm. I think subtextually it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I think um, it's so far ahead of its time with what it wanted to discuss and what it wanted to mm-hmm. for a major Hollywood film. Right. What it wanted to try and accomplish. That when when it comes to the makeup effects being really fucking hokey, I don't like Freddy's look at all in that <laughs> film. Um, and I, I, the acting across the board to me falls really flat. Oh. Other than other than Heather. Mm-hmm. Because I think she's phenomenal. In yeah. It. Uh, everyone else, Robert Shea. Oh my gosh. Everyone else is really flat to me, yeah. and it's really, and I think it kills the script. Even the doctor in the final. I act. think. I think. Well, not so much that one. I think she's really good. I, I, like she, yeah, it's yeah. A fine I'll, give, line. I'll give you that one. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just think because the script is so on the nose, and then on top of that, you have these performances with, with that are a little stilted. At least to me. Um, it really fails on the potential of what could have been a, a really, to me, a really truly subversive, interesting mm-hmm. piece of work. Yeah, and I could, I can definitely respect that, and I do agree that some of the performances, especially for you know the other people playing themselves, it feels very stilted and very, it feels very you know kind of winking at the camera. At the same time, you know maybe it is just the fact that I've always wanted to make. Uh, I've always wanted to make horror movies and that was kind of like the first movie that really not only examined how these movies play an effect on horror fans but just kind of went into the making of what it's like to make a horror movie and you know you have like this stuff that like and I can understand especially it not working for anyone that knows nothing about Hollywood or how those movies are made because like you know they don't care of mm-hmm. like you know oh, they turn like, a camera on in the movie right appears. yeah and it's just one of those things too where you know there's there's moments that i think are in that movie spectacular there's a moment that i think is breathtaking like and you know it's one of those things where it's when heather and robert go on the talk show mm-hmm. and he's kind of addressing like the the freddy cult of fans and we have that's like that's a the, great scene the, that's the, a really the good claws scene. in the air and you see like the shadows and you just see heather's reaction to this of her kind of fear of the you know now that i'm a parent is this something that i want to be a part of yeah and to this date, I think that it's such a, a heady concept that maybe I like it so much because so many other horror movies are, are really afraid to touch that. And I give them so much credit, Heather especially, for being really ballsy enough to say, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a part of this. Yeah. Like, I'm playing myself mm-hmm. like a very thin thinly veiled um, fictional version of herself, but herself nonetheless. And there's kind of like these digs to her as, a, you know, she doesn't have any fans. Like, you know, like everything's all about <laughs> Freddie, which yeah. coming 20 years later when we're really into like this con mentality, it predicted a lot. Like, sure. I don't even know. And like, probably, you know, that was made in 1993. It came out in 1994. Mm-hmm. Like, that's probably like 
like before this really became popular. I mean, the cons were in full swing, yeah, but, but not the was, way they are. Yeah, now. where it was like all of, like that would be that movie today would be like that times like a hundred of you know, you know Heather like looking at her watch waiting for Robert to get yeah. done. Like, like yeah. you would have that so much today, and I think that for me as as a slasher fan and a filmmaker you know everyone always gives the credit to to the villains and the villains to me are only as strong as their final girl and that's why i love i guess after that whole long like me babbling about it but that's what i love most about new nightmare because it finally gets this final act of heather playing herself as Nancy, which is, there's a lot going on, but you have this ultimate battle of this great final girl, but the story is hers. It's Mm -hmm. not the villain's Mm -hmm. story, and it's not about how this villain is going to kill these people, because it's about her... Overcoming. Yeah, Yeah. and it's, it's really putting this together and say, like, how... How am I going to survive in this? And there, it's those elements that make that movie stand out for me and really makes that movie, like, my favorite in the series. I respect that, and that's <laughs> why I wanted you to come on. And I, because I've always, you know, I, I am not a perfect person. Yeah. In my opinion, don't mean shit. You could take it or leave it. Right. No, so, I feel so, the same way. So, so I've always ribbed you about it. Kevin, I appreciate you coming oh, thank on. Thank you very and much. So... Where can people find you, find Slasher Studios, and and learn about uh, Don't Go to the Reunion, Teddy, Blood Brothers, uh, Popularity Killer, and of course, Dismembering Christmas? Um, Everywhere online, um, SlasherStudios.com. We have Slasher Studios on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, everywhere. The Slasher Studios podcast on Blog Talk Radio. Um, Yeah, and just like all of our Facebook pages, especially Dismembering Christmas, we're going to be having lots of updates. We actually um, are going to be shooting in one month, so we're getting everything ready for Christmas. It's going to be a late Christmas for us, but I'm I'm ready. This is going to be the the ultimate Christmas present for Slasher fans. Awesome. I can't wait to say, when are you expecting this to come out? Um, Our goal, cross fingers, is to have it done by like September, um, possibly. Oshkosh Horror? Yep. (laughs) Yeah, having it done around the area, um, possibly going to like Horror Hound September, Indianapolis, doing Oshkosh Horror. Just having like that whole... um, just you get two, you get two holidays. You get the the Halloween and then you get Christmas right afterwards. So we got to celebrate both of them with this movie. Oh, awesome! Yeah. You know what? We spent an hour and sixteen minutes uh, talking about everything except for hole in the wall. <laughs> That's right. I didn't even I didn't even ask you about it. So yeah. so uh, Astro Radio Z listeners, Kevin Summerfield and uh, Steve Gold Slasher Studio Boys made the final end tag for a hole in the wall called Glory Hole. <laughs> Do you want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah. Uh, it's like the weirdest thing that Slasher Studios has ever done. <laughs> like, it's it's just really funny because, um, so like, there's this thing with me and Steve where you know, like, like we'll go to like these cons together, and like after like, like people will find out like Steve's got a girlfriend, they'll be like, oh, like I thought you two were dating. Like that's like that's like been like years of that, and we're like, why don't we make that into a short? Like, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love about it is that, that one because I know you guys. And right. Two, two when I saw it is like <laughs> you guys and you you took the angle of this. This is kind of meta here. And, right. And and it is free time, Steve. 
pleasures himself to pictures of you. Exactly. <laughs> it's like just a, a cutout picture of my <laughs> animated mouth. Like it's so ridiculous and over the top. And that's exactly what we wanted to do. We were like, well, Don't Go to the Reunion was like, you know, we've always, we've never done, you know, comedy before. So we're just like, yeah, we're going to have fun with this. So we just took one night and filmed that. And it was a blast. So thank you for letting me be a part of that. Well, it was a lot of fun. Originally, <laughs> this, this is the story, how this genesis happened was that you guys, when we first started Hole in the Wall, were doing Don't Go to the Reunion. Mm-hmm. So when Corey and I were talking about pulling people in to do this, I'm like, okay, those boys are already busy. Let's let them do their thing. And we originally, Adam Albrandt was going to do a glory hole piece for us. Really? Yeah, we had talked to him at yeah. Simple Wasteland, and we had stayed in contact, and we had done all these things. And, and he got sidetracked with hunters and with mm-hmm. sadists and with all this other stuff. Yeah. And um, so that fell through. And uh, then you guys finished up the movie, and and I was just like, man, we have this movie. The cover art's about a glory hole. There's no glory hole movie. Uh, let me get a hold of Kevin. Let's see. And, and I didn't want to give you a story. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say, hey, I need a movie about a glory hole. Right. Do you, do you want to do this? Yeah, or? and I'm just like, yeah, that sounds like fun. I'm just like, so like we kind of just pitch ideas back and forth and we're like well like do we want actors we're like no this is gonna be funnier if it's just yeah, yeah, us yeah. doing it especially yeah. like Steve that's never been on camera before um, he did great yeah he was really funny and like I don't know he's just it's just one of those things where it was it was a blast to do and it was just I'm just like oh my god like so when you saw when you now, now walk me through this when you watched the movie finally when we had our cast and crew screening and you you got to see your piece in the mix of everything, what what were your like parting thoughts after you had finally watched it? You had seen all of this garbage that we had finally put <laughs> together. What did you walk away from it with? Well, it was so funny because like I still remember when I sent it to you the file. You were like, "Oh, this is easily the tamest. Like this is so, like, <laughs> like it, it's it's very like I mean, and it's it's not even like that. T- I mean, it's it's very like." Cheeky, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like totally. very up all night, absolutely, like, just like very goofy, like, like very early John Waters. Yeah, you got, like, you got, you yeah. have, you know, the the zany little sound effects, right? And, and you're winking <laughs> at the camera, and you, did, yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, when I first saw it, like, I had no idea what any, like, and I was trying to like get other people's opinion. Like, I was like I'm talking to like, the other filmmakers, and they're like, well, I know what I did. Like, that's all they do. And like, they're like, I'm not supposed to say anything to anyone else about this thing. And I'm just like, what is this movie about? So I just sat there, and I had a blast because it was just, it was one of the, the few anthology films that everything about it felt very organic. It wasn't a, we have to follow this exact script. Yet at the same time, it, it flowed so well. Like, there was this kind of, you know, hey, we're just going to make trash and we're going to have fun. And there was something about that that was so enduring. And I just had a blast from beginning to end because I'm just like, this is this is 90 minutes of people just having a good time. And that's something that you just don't see very often anymore. So, yeah, um, mission accomplished. <laughs> well, I, I loved it. Well, that's exactly <laughs> the kind of movies we want to make. At least mm-hmm. I want to make through Rabbit Child Films is that I want to make movies that people have a good time with. Mm-hmm. And 
when you saw yours in context with it, what were you, I mean, what were your thoughts when, where you, you, well, like, it was like the end credits and I was getting ready to mine and I'm just like, oh my God, I'm like, mine doesn't fit at all. I was like so worried and like, everyone was like laughing and everyone just like, like, yeah, like this is just, this is just as weird as the rest of it. It's like, I was like so honored that like people were just like, yeah, like, like that was really funny. Like I, cause it's all like comedy is so hard more mm-hmm. than anything else. Like I agree. this can be hilarious to me and like, and even like horror, like you know, for the most part, what's gonna work? Like jump, jump effects. Like you have like this thing, but at the same time, like comedy, especially either campy or dark comedy, people are either gonna be groaning or they're gonna say this is hilarious. Yeah, right, and right. so it was like that fine line where like, well, we think this is funny, and at the end of the day, that's all you can really do is like you make the movie you think is funny, and you hope other people think it's funny too, and they did so. Thankfully, it, it worked. It worked out. And, <laughs> and this was something, because for a while, I didn't know where I was going to put it. Yeah. I had a tough time with it. And, and Pata and I, John Pata and I, talked about it a lot. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, okay, let's do this as a post-credit <laughs> one. And let's see how it works. And over time, as things came together, when when it finally, when I, I sat back and I watched it, and it took like three or four times before I'm like, this is fucking perfect right here because it's like you have this movie that's just this monster of a, like it, it's dark, it's oppressive, it, it, mm-hmm. it's at times humorous, but it's very like oddly humorous where you're not sure if you're supposed to laugh about it yeah. or, and you're disgusted by this. And it ends in just this ridiculously over the top gory finale. Yeah. And then this really bleak like doom metal tune over the <laughs> credits and then it break it, like the the last hit of the song and then there's a fart noise and it goes into <laughs> your part and it's just like to me it reminds me of Swamp It. Like, yeah. Every single time I've seen it I'm like this is exactly and that and this is something Carolyn Baker and I have talked about mm-hmm. quite a number of times is that everything about Hole in the Wall it, it had there was a lot of serendipitous weird occurrences mm-hmm. that came together in the end that I never planned. Yeah. I play I I tried to plan as much as I could, mm-hmm. but they just worked. Yeah, that's that's the best. Like and it's like those fortunate accidents where you're like, I didn't even expect this to happen, but this is so much better this way. Or like just kind of people coming together. Like, and you really only ever have that with a strong group of indie filmmakers that really care about what they're doing. But not only that, they care about other people too. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love. I don't know if it's, you know, we can even expand it, you know, not only like the Fox Valley, but just like the Midwest in general. Like I can go to, um, you know, various horror film festivals. And I was actually, a, I think it was Horror Hound where I was like, I, I was talking to somebody at the table about Don't Go to the Reunion. And this guy came running up to me. It's like, I know that voice. Like that's the Asher Studios podcast. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> like, that's awesome. And it's just one of those things where it's like, you would never have that anywhere else. And it's just like, I just want to give those people a hug. Like, thanks for listening. Like, thanks for taking the time. Like, that that means a lot because, like, this means something to me. And like I said before, like, that at the end of the day, you can only hope that it means something to someone yeah. else. And when it does, like, that means more than anything in yeah. the world. Like, more than any paycheck, more than any 
award. Like, just seeing a movie with an audience that appreciates it, knows what movie you're trying to make, and is just having a good time. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's why Corey and I started Wisconsin Horror. Mm-hmm. That's why we, with, with Pata, we wanted to do something that brought everyone together mm-hmm. to say that, you know what, we're really proud of the people that, that are For involved sure. in the yeah. scene, and we're really happy that we know each other, and I th- we all come from the right place yeah and we're we're trying we're not doing this for any weird like any monetary or ancillary like perks mm-hmm. just for the 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 pure fun of making oh, cinema definitely i mean it's one of those things where i mean you were kind of talking about um serendipity you know i randomly this was like three years ago uh i went to a, a double feature in oshkosh that was at you know um you know, it was it was the horror nights at the, the um, time. No, not the time theater. Um, at the um, the comic book. House of Heroes. Yeah, House of Heroes. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was House of Horrors. So when they were doing like the double feature, like once a month, and I love slugs. Like it's one of my favorite. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's so trashy. It's just so over the top. And um. Pata was playing that with uh, Ticks because it was oh a creature double feature. God. Like Ticks yeah, like, is miserable. I like I am going to that. Like yeah, yeah, so, yeah. We, I just saw a thing of it online, and like so, I, I went to that with with a friend of mine, and we we sat through both of them, and then um, Pata came up to me afterwards. He's like, I've never seen you guys here before. Like like, what's your name? And like we're like talking, and like. Like, I'm like, oh, like, you're a horror filmmaker. Like, I had no idea. And then he's like, oh, you're a horror filmmaker, too. Like, what have you done? He's like, oh, like, I, I, I'm like, I just, I just finished this short Teddy. He's like, oh, my God, somebody just sent me the link to watch that online this morning because they knew that I would like it. I'm just like. You know how many times things like that yeah. happened to me? <laughs> many, many, many times. And not only that, but it was like three weeks later that we didn't know that both of us were playing at our, his first, I believe it was his first film festival for Deadway. It was our first film festival for Teddy. Mm-hmm. So like we collaborated there. That's crazy. And that was the second time I'd ever met him. So I'm just like, what are the chances? <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's like those great things where it's just like... Yeah, I, I love these people. I, I love them to death, and Pat is going to be helping us with the next one, and I'm excited to be to be working with him. He's always a hoot, and yeah, yeah, he's yeah a good time. it's 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 going to be a it's going to be a lot of fun. And I just it's one of those things where everyone's like, well, what are you doing after that? And I'm like, I literally have like seven projects that like I'm I'm trying to figure out what I can do because I don't know, like you know, I don't want to to my own horn but like I I do think like I am good at producing and like I I'm really good at promoting and getting like word out there have you ever thought about maybe producing other people's projects that's kind of what it's coming to where it's like you know people come to me and it's like I've made other movies like I'm really interested in making a horror movie like would you be interested in working this like and making it like a slasher studios presents and just kind of like working with other filmmakers where like I won't be necessarily Hands on. Do you you say, do you got a budget? (laughs) (laughs) Now's the time where you start making your your money, son. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, like that's one of those things, too, where it's just like, and, like, nothing against horror filmmakers, but, like, you you do have to kind of pick and choose your battles, and you know the ones that are coming to you that's like, I'm only coming to you because I know that you've had success with crowdfunding and I want you to raise money for my movie, which 
I'm I don't want to dip into that well every no. single time. Yeah. And if I yeah. do, like I that's got to be it's a passion exhausting. project for me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean when you know we did that for Don't Go the Reunion and Dismembering Christmas, and both of those were forty five days. And for the like last week, like I think I slept like maybe like five hours total. Ugh, where I was constantly refreshing the page and promoting it. And I'm just like oh, like. And at the end of the day, and this is something that I tell all horror filmmakers, is that you'd rather have people sick of hearing about your movie than not have people know it exists. Yeah. Like, you promote the hell out of it because anyone who's close to you is going to understand and hopefully see that they're doing this because this movie means that much to them. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, yeah. Well, dude... I wish you nothing but luck well, in a couple weeks you. when uh, you shoot the film, and I'm anxious to to see it when it comes out. Yeah, I think you're really gonna dig it. We got some some nice little homages to I think some movies that you like that isn't quite as um, on the nose as Don't Go the Reunion is, but it's one of those things where as a slasher fan you'll know. Oh yeah, they got that from oh, yeah. that. Like oh yeah, especially with a couple of the weapons. Like I'm excited. Yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm excited to make it. We got we got less than a month and. Ready to just dig right in. I I, I want to just make this movie just so like, I'm like, yeah, it's this is the great thing about being a producer too is I can just be like, Austin, here's the movie, edit it. Like I just need to sleep for a week. Yeah, like yeah. I haven't slept for like a year and a show, half. Show me when you have. <laughs> yeah. Send me a link when you have something I can watch. Yeah, but at the same time I'll be like every other day on Twitter I'll be like, is the movie done yet? Like do you have some footage? Oh, you're dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, good luck. Yeah, thank you very much. I'll, and when you get it done. Let's do this again. Sounds great. It's been a pleasure. Yeah.